Welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Raj Basord, and I'm a consultant psychiatrist based at the Bethlehem Royal and Maudsley Hospitals in South London. Joining me today here at the headquarters of the Royal College of Psychiatrists at number 17 Belgrave Square is Professor Swaran Singh. He's a professor of social and community psychiatry at, based at the Health Services Research Institute at Warwick Medical School, University of Warwick, and he's also a consultant psychiatrist working in Birmingham. Now, with some co-authors, he's published a fascinating paper, a systematic review, entitled Ethnicity and the Mental Health Act, 1983. Let me do that one more time. Ethnicity and the Mental Health Act, 1983. First of all, uh, Swaran, why were you interested in this area? Why is this area uh, of the link between ethnicity and the Mental Health Act important? Well, for the last... 15 or 20 years, there have been two um, findings which have really caused a lot of concern. One is the higher rates of serious mental illnesses such as psychosis in some ethnic minority groups, and the other is higher rates of detention in those groups. Um, and I, I run an early intervention service clinically, uh, and so uh, a, a large proportion of my patients also come from ethnic minority populations. In, in late 90s, we did a study of admissions in Nottingham, and we tried to test out the hypothesis that if you controlled for um, things that predict detention, like gender, diagnosis, level of risk, level of social support, then perhaps the effect of ethnicity would drop out. Uh, our assumption was that ethnicity was a proxy for these clinical and sociodemographic variables. We found out that that wasn't true, and that ethnicity remained a predictor of detention. So being uh, uh, being black or being, is, is a predictor of being detained in this country. And that has, that has um, enormous implications for service users, for service providers, for clinicians. Um, the charge has been that this reflects somehow uh, discriminatory practice. That's the word that comes up again and again in several official documents and reports. Um, and th these range from, from those that claim that psychiatry is institutionally racist to that the fact that there are differences in rates means that somehow there must be some racism going on. What we wanted to do was to look at all papers published since the Mental Health Act came into force. Pool data from all the studies that gave us data allowed us to do that. And we wanted to do three distinct things. We wanted to first confirm whether this finding of excess detention held when you pooled all the data together. Second, we wanted to know whether there were differences within and between ethnic groups rather than thinking of a homogenous category of black. And third, we wanted to look at what are the explanations offered to explain this excess, and what is the evidence base for these explanations. We wanted to get to the heart of what the research evidence tells us is behind this excess. The paper focuses on the situation here in England, um, but do we have a, uh, any sense of what's happening elsewhere around the world? Because clearly there's a great deal of concern about this difference 
um, in terms of your ethnicity and your, your, your racial background, influencing uh, the, the way you're dealt with by psychiatric services. Is this a peculiarly British problem, or is this a problem that occurs around the world? It depends on which problem we, we, we talk about. If you think of the diagnosis of mental illnesses in ethnic minorities generally, uh, there is a lot of anthropological literature about different cultures having different models and paradigms of, of distress. And there is an argument made that um, the Western psychiatric constructs don't always capture those uh, cultural variations in expression of distress. That There's a lot of literature around that. Uh, there is also clear evidence that rates of psychosis are high in all immigrant groups. It's a very interesting finding. And most people who are familiar with literature in this area will know that it was Odegaard who first showed that rates of psychosis were high in Norwegian immigrants to America. And since then, several studies have shown that the excess of psychosis is an immigrant-specific rather than an ethnic-specific um, problem. The rates of detention uh, are much more um, obvious in Britain, I suppose, because that's where most of the research has been conducted. There are some papers emerging uh, from Western Europe, uh, and there was one recently, I think in the British Journal of Psychiatry, uh, saying that in Holland, uh, rates of detention were high in people from ethnic minority presenting to ANEs. Uh, so the detention issue, we don't have much data from outside of Britain. So it'll be interesting to see if there are if there are variations. There is a there is another um, Europe-wide study showing that rates of detention are generally increasing across Europe. Uh, but I think the ethnicity issue has really captured the imagination uh, of, of psychiatrists and clinicians and service users in Britain in particular. I notice that your paper is, has got the, the word Mental Health Act in the title. So you're specifically interested in detentions in hospital under the Mental Health Act. In other words, people who are being detained against their will. Again, why is that important? Why the link between that um, and ethnicity? Well, the first uh, is what I said. We know that for some reason, if you are black in Britain, you're more likely to be detained. So I think we have to try and understand why that happens. We've only looked at the civil uh, uh, bits of the act um, We've looked at some prison populations, but we've more, much of the literature is around Section 2, Section 3, Section 4 of the Act. The way an individual comes into the service differs. It differs from your socioeconomic status. It differs according to your demographics. It differs according to your level of social support, your involvement with the GP, the, help of a, uh, the presence of a help seeker. And all those differences may explain why um, individuals come to services through different pathways. I think the problem has been that the, the debate has been polarized. It has been seen literally and metaphorically in black and white terms, that there is an issue of excess detention in ethnic minorities, and hence the problem and the cause must lie in psychiatry. What we wanted to explore was the um, more the, the complexity of this problem, and what is the evidence in all the domains which interact uh, 
when an individual presents to a psychiatric clinic. So let's now turn to the paper itself. Uh, this was a meta-analysis, mm -hmm. and you were pooling a series of studies. Tell us, first of all, a little bit about the studies that were selected and ended up in the meta-analysis. We, we said we will um, include studies from UK since 1985, when the Act came into uh, operation, um, that the studies must, must uh, be about the Mental Health Act and must have more than one um, ethnic group. So there must be a comparison of ethnic groups. We looked at every possible source of information. We did quite a detailed uh, systematic search uh, with the help of uh, someone from the IOP. Uh, Institute of Psychiatry. Institute of Psychiatry Library Services. And uh, we um, put in all the terms that we thought were relevant. And then we did cross-checking against the references manually. We also looked at gray literature. Some of these papers, some of these studies are done in as PhD projects or MDs or dissertations. Uh, we looked at the National Research Register. Uh, and having identified all the studies, uh, we then read the papers to see if they met our inclusion criteria, that they were about detention, comparing ethnic groups in Britain, uh, actually it's England and Wales where the Mental Health Act applies, and post-1985. Once we had a list of uh, 49 studies, we then sent that list to a group of 24 experts who have written in this area. And we said, have we missed any study? Are you aware of any other work that's going on? Uh, and we couldn't come up with any other papers. And so we felt we had a fairly complete data set. So this search strategy you deployed seems pretty comprehensive. Is this a kind of standard strategy that occurs when people are compiling a meta-analysis? You seem very concerned that you didn't miss anything, any paper out there. Yes, I, I think that there are two different things. The systematic search now is a quite a um, well-established process. The, the, the area has matured quite substantially in the last 10 years. And now there's a clear way of how a systematic search must be done. Uh, Meta-analysis is, is to make sure that the uh, studies that you're pooling are all answering the same question and are all, are all data-based, and we combined the two. Uh, not all the studies that we pulled out, the 49, had data that allowed for meta-analysis. Only 19 went into the meta-analysis. I think we were keen not to miss out any study because a lot of criticism in the area has been that the research has focused in uh, the biomedical journals and not looked at social sciences or gray literature. And we wanted to make sure that wherever there were data, we got that paper. Another aspect classically of meta-analysis is some attempt to weight or rate the quality of the paper. So it's not the case that a bad study or a poorly performed study ends up entering your pooling of the data in your meta-analysis and ends up um, uh, having an undue influence on the outcome. So you, you also attempted to yes, we did. rate quality? We did. Um, the last review in this area was done by Professor Bowie, um, who had used a scale. So we used the same scale because it had already been uh, uh, used. And that, that kind of controls for the sample size and how ethnic groups are classified and, and the kind of analysis that's done and gives the studies a quality rating. And that gets accounted for in the meta-analysis. Yes, we did do that. So let's come to your findings, your results. How would you describe what they were? Well, <clears throat> from the meta-analysis, if you pool the data, 
it appears that in very crude terms for every one white person detained there are two Asians and four black and the, word, the term black here includes black Caribbean and black African. Now we are aware that these are crude categories and we tried very hard to be more sophisticated but we were limited by what the studies presented and these were the categories that were more often, most often used. So the headline message is that uh, black patients are four times more likely to be detained and Asian patients are twice more likely to be detained than white patients. And why do you think that is? This was the interesting bit because the headline message is actually not new. We just confirmed what has been said. We just confirmed it on larger numbers and on greater number of studies. We didn't find anything new. Uh, perhaps the excess of uh, uh, detention in, in Asians was, has, has not so far been robustly established. Even in our meta-analysis, the studies are small. We did find one more interesting thing, uh, and I'll mention that. Uh, the assumption has been that the higher rates of detention are particularly obvious in forensic settings. We didn't find that. For civil sections, the rates are higher. Uh, that, was, that was an interesting finding. Again, the numbers are small uh, for forensic sections. So, so in other words, if you're from an ethnic minority background, you're no more likely to be detained in a forensic setting. No, no, you, you are more likely to be detained, but the rate, the rate is not as high as okay. it is for civil sections. Right, okay. The, the excess is still there, but it's not as high. Okay. Uh, the, we, we looked at every paper, we read every paper, and we extracted the explanations offered. For each explanation that was offered, we looked at the evidence. And we divided the evidence into two groups. Primary evidence, where the paper supported or refuted a hypothesis using its own data. Or secondary evidence, where the paper cited a previous uh, research finding. And then we went and looked at the... There was a strange, strange sound. Yeah. What was that, where was that from? somewhere there, I think. It was like a rattling of some sort. Okay, fine. Let's keep going. Stop. Is, is, is it, is it, yeah, is it fine. going fine so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fine. Am, yeah. I, am I concise? Yeah, I, I have a, you think fine. Way. Yeah, you okay. Fine. <clears throat> now, we, we looked at the explanations and we extracted them as they were presented without trying to fit them into a, a conceptual framework or a, a priori hypothesis that we had. And we looked at the evidence for that. For the citations... Uh, for each um, of the explanations. We went and looked at the original papers from which these were drawn. Five kinds of explanations emerged, and we, we grouped them into patient-related explanations, illness-related explanations, service-related explanations, culture-related explanations, and patient-service-related. Patient-related explanations included things like high rates of psychosis in ethnic minorities, or ethnic minorities being perceived as at greater risk of uh, disturbed behavior um, or having higher rates of comorbid drug use or greater delays in help seeking. Illness-related uh, explanations were to do with um, the illness being more florid, more acute, more severe, uh, more associated with challenging behavior or there being uh, poorer compliance with medication, repeated relapses. Service-related explanations were to do with black patients not being referred early enough or some impediments in the pathways to care. 
culture-related explanations were uh, things to do with how different cultures understand and attribute meaning to symptoms. And patient-service interactions were to do with the all that was left, the, the complex issue of how patients come into services. And the, the three commonest explanations were that of racist stereotyping, labeling, and discrimination. And the whole issue of uh, black patients being perceived as more dangerous. And almost half the papers cited this as a possible explanation. So one way to look at it is that half the papers in the area, the authors themselves think that racism or a race-based explanation uh, is behind the excess. When we looked at the evidence for each of these claims, we found none. Uh, and that was a striking finding. Where there had been some attempts to control for confounders and the effect of ethnicity had dropped out, people had downplayed that. And when you trace back the trail of these papers, it, it appeared to us that what had happened is in that when the f this finding first started appearing, people speculated on a number of reasons behind this. And one reason that people speculated often or was about racism in psychiatry and the Eurocentric nature of psychiatry. Subsequent papers, instead of testing that hypothesis, have simply noted the excess and reported the explanation without actually unpacking the explanation. In, and this, this happens in research. Quite often, secondary citations are of papers that won't pass the, uh, you know, the test now. Um, and in science, this quite often happens that when there's a new finding, you have a number of explanations. And the, the, the way of... Uh, uh, moving forward is to take each of those explanations and then unpack it uh, empirically and see whether it stands or falls, and the scrutiny of uh, empirical testing. In this particular issue, what seems to have happened is that race-based explanations have been accepted quite readily as the answer without people really going and testing that. We also found a uh, problem uh, a methodological problem in the area, which is, which is this. If you want to look at the risk of detention, your population at risk are the population who are assessed rather than the population who are detained. What the papers have done, including what we did in Nottingham, was we looked at a group of inpatients, we looked at how many were detained, and we said what proportion are black, what proportion are white. Actually, what happens is that a clinician does an assessment for a mental health act, and then some people get detained and some people don't get detained. And the reasons for detention are to do with severity, risk, lack of alternatives. So if you're going to explore the reasons for detention, the population you have to study is the entire population that is being detained. It may be that when you, I'm sorry, all the entire population that's being assessed. It may be that when you look at the total number of people who are assessed, perhaps there are no ethnic differences at that point. And ethnic differences emerge, for instance, uh, because some ethnic groups have fewer, fewer social support mechanisms, fewer alternatives to detention. So 
the excess emerges following the process of assessment. So you have to look at the what happens at the process of assessment. It's a, it's a simple epidemiological uh, question, but it, it hadn't really struck us even when we started this. So the first thing we found is that if you're going to understand why this is happening, there's no point head counting in detained populations. You have to look at the process of assessment. The, the second thing that emerged was that the act of detention is predicated on refusal to accept voluntary treatment. If I detain someone, they have to be ill, they have to be at risk, there has to be no alternative. At that point, I offer them voluntary admission. They have to say no, at which point I am legally obliged to detain them. So you could turn the question around and say, are some groups of people more likely to say no to offers of voluntary help? And I think that's a critical point. It may be that if you come to the service late, if you come to the service more ill, if you come to the service with less insight, if you come to the service uh, with, with um, more paranoia and you have greater mistrust of services, you are more likely to say no to voluntary admission. And it may be that those are the factors that are operating in some ethnic minority groups. So if you are an inner city uh, young man uh, with poor social support, no GP, no help seeker to identify early warning signs, no one to access care on your behalf, you are likely to come into services at a later stage and in a crisis, necessitating detention. Uh, so I think that what we are suggesting is that this is simply not uh, a question of racism at the point of encounter that leads to detention. It is to do with events that happen before the person comes into services. So whatever is operating that's causing some people to be detained and not others is happening, is related to um, issues that are in the socioeconomic and um, cultural background of the individual. To assume that it is racism of the psychiatrist at the point of the counter, at, at the point of the clinical encounter, is not supported by evidence. It's uh, intuitively, it doesn't seem right to me. If I wanted to, if I were racist, I, I wouldn't want to help someone. I, every time we detain someone, we offer them the chance of help. The Mental Health Act is an enabling act. It allows us to treat individuals who would otherwise not receive treatment. It is not a coercive act. It's not punishment. It's an offer of help and it's a way of making sure vulnerable, vulnerable people who need help get it. Uh, most damagingly, I think assuming that racism is behind this worsens the very problem that we are trying to solve. If people from ethnic minorities believe that psychiatric services are um, racist and discriminatory, they are likely to stay back. They are likely not to accept help. And they are more likely to come into services later and at a point of crisis. Now there's one, one more thing I'd like to mention. We did find in a couple of studies that rates of detention worsen for ethnic minorities. So they come with high rates and that tends to get worse over time. But so in other words, a person who's been um, detained against his will, his or her will, on the first episode, um, if they come from an ethnic minority background, 
in, in the terms of their career path, as it were, of their mental illness, they are more and more likely to have excessive detention rates that's in right. the future. That's, that's right. There is, there is the, if you talk of it as a patient journey, it seems that the trajectories of those journeys diverge. That's, a, that's, that's an important issue for services. That's something we need to look at. It may be that uh, black patients' experiences of services differ, and that we need to look at. But that, that is not an explanation entirely of the excess, because the excess is evident even in the first episode patients who have had no previous encounter with the service. It may be that if you mistrust services, you are more likely to keep disengaging and more likely to be brought back into the service under the Mental Health Act. Now, I have said that the Mental Health Act is beneficial and helps people, but I have no doubt that uh, the process itself is traumatic and disturbing and distressing for people. And if there were a way of not bringing people in, uh, we should try and find that. Our paper then, therefore, doesn't solve um, the mystery. It just gives us pointer to where to look. And I think where we need to look at, and why we need to look at it. Where we need to look at is at all the things that are happening before the patients come to service. Uh, and then we need to look at the population at risk, which is all assessments. And we need to look at whether the differences can be attributed to the social circumstances of the, de the assessed population. Some who have alternatives, others don't. No. I'll give a crude stereotype. Um, I, I work in a predominantly Pakistani community in Birmingham, and quite often, um, when, we, when we find someone at risk at home and the family is not coping, a member of the extended family will take them over. They'll say, we'll take him home. I'm the uncle. I'll make sure he takes medication. You know, we will take the heat out of the situation. We will, we will. Now, and that, that avoids detention. It may be that the support of an extended family provides you that safety network and an alternative in the community, which you don't have if you're a recent immigrant living alone in inner city without any help. So, so those kinds of societal factors uh, have not been explored. Uh, and we, they've not been explored, I think, because we have been too, ease, too easily uh, been led to believe, or we have too easily accepted that it must be racism. Professor Sorensen, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much.